Are you, are you listening to me? We're covering the Hunger Games today, baby. Strange things occurring every day in quarantine. So just listen to Let's Talk About Books, baby. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby. My name's Kayla. And I'm Lindsay. Um, and today, today. <laughs> very special Hunger Games episode where we're going to chat about the books and the movies and how excited we are for the new Hunger Games prequel that's coming out mm-hmm. on tomorrow. I'm dying. I'm so excited. This is going to kind of act as, because I'm sure some of you haven't read the Hunger Games in like a very long time. So long. I probably think the last time I read it, I was maybe 18 or 19. Yeah, and I was probably, God, probably 20. I think maybe 20. It's It's been a long time. So now I'm like, well, damn. I am so excited. I I think I read all the Hunger Games books around the time the Catching Fire movie came out. So I'm not. Yes, I think I might have re. So I read them. Before the movie, I think I've I've read the series like three or four times. Oh, girl! Leading yes. up to this, coming back as an adult, and have been so far removed from reading them or even watching them. I mean, I hadn't watched them since the last the Mockingjay Part Two came out, and that was 2015. That was five years ago, and so Jeez. right, it's been a. It feels like it was yesterday, but it's been a while. Yeah, I hadn't even really thought about them since the mo- the last movie came out. So mm-hmm. I was honestly a little nervous to get into the books because I thought, like, as an adult, how am I going to feel about this typical? young adult dystopian novel, which we know has been beaten to death. (laughs) I mean, but here's the thing. The Hunger Games, these were the original ones. This was what started it. This is what started Divergent and kicked off. Mortal Engines? And Maze Runner, that dystopian young adult, you know, the people in the book, they're like 15 or 16. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to save the world from whatever is going on, you know, 300 years in the future, because exactly. things have gone shit. it was the apocalypse or whatever. But the Hunger Games did it first. And did it best. I did it best. Yeah. Yeah. Like, legitimately, they're they're so they're so good. And, and you're right. I kind of came into it thinking to myself, because I've tried to reread books. And I think that the interesting thing is if you're trying to reread a book and you and you can't get through it, Marie Kondo that book, get rid of it because clearly it's not bringing you any joy. Right. But I could not put these books down. I was like, so, I was making dinner, reading them while I was making dinner. I was eating dinner, reading them in love. read them all in a day each. And yeah, I, I had no clue so, how. <laughs> I, I don't either. And that's the thing is I was so shocked because I gave myself a little bit of time before we recorded this episode. I was like, okay, I'll give myself a week and a half. That seems reasonable for me. I know I'm, I'm kind of like a speed reader, but I was like, that should be enough. I was truly worried that... I would start reading The Hunger Games and become annoyed with the the typical young adult tropes that are in all of these young adult dystopian novels. You know, yeah. the young girl falls in love with the boy that she's she stupid. didn't really want. And she's also kind of dumb. And then it's like, okay, what is she, you know, I was just, I was very, very worried. 
But I started reading and I couldn't put it down because the books, first off, so much better than the movies, especially the first one. The movie was not done very well in regards. <gasps> you don't to think so? I, don't I think love so. the movies. So here's the thing, and I don't know if I was just in a mood or whatever, but it's the way it's filmed. The shaky cam literally gave me a headache, and Katniss is supposed to be 16 years old. Jennifer Lawrence filming the first movie was like 20 or 21, which I understand. Yeah, this happens, you know. And by the end of movie series she's 26 25 26 27 in that age range yeah she looks like a freaking woman she's an adult yeah, she does and Katniss I mean even I don't look I'm Jennifer Lawrence's age that she was in Mockingjay right I, mean, and I don't even look like that she looks like yeah. she's 30 fucking five you know and I'm I look still look like I'm freaking 19 or 20 you know <laughs> I'm totally not. And so that, I think, really skewed my view of who mm-hmm. Katniss is. Sure. And it, when the truth is, she's <laughs> just a 16-year-old girl. We're all kind of dumb when we're 16. We true. all don't know what we want to do when we're 16. And to be 16 years old and to thrown into this ridiculous, crazy Hunger Games to kill other children who are your age or younger Mm -hmm. is traumatic. She went through a traumatic experience. And the books definitely touch on her mental health, you know, after the Hunger Games. So in Catching Fire and Mocking Mm -hmm. Day, she definitely has mental health issues. She is not having enough time to process them or her emotions and her feelings about all of this. And then to be thrown into them again in Catching Fire, I mean, it was just, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But I will say, I liked actually in the movie, in the Catching Fire movie, they also show her having issues. So like they show her having her night terrors. This is one of my favorite parts is right at the beginning of the movie when she's hunting with Gail and she goes to shoot a turkey and then they show her shoot Marvel. And she was like, oh my God. And I love that part. I mean, that makes sense. It's PTSD is what it is. And and I think that they showed it very well in the movie. Um, Yeah, I'm actually, I'm a fan of the shaky cam in the first one. It is such a jarring movie. The camera's not shaky until she's in the arena. And I think it's to, to show you the chaos of what's going on. And it's not always shaky, but I mean, it, it, you know, it has a fair bit of that. But I, I, I really like it because it shows her running through the forest and it feels like you're running through it with her. I wanted to talk about the romance aspect. Oh, for Peta sure. Peta versus Gail. I like look back and I feel so silly for wearing shirts that said Team Peta, you know, and being and having such crazy emotions about Gail and being <laughs> so against him. Yeah. That, like I said, I was expecting all the typical young adult tropes in rereading it as an adult and they're, they were there they are they are there but <laughs> I think you. that they're done well the whole point of the romance aspect in the book is for survival she does not have feelings for Gail he is a hunting buddy yeah. and she's so focused on survival and getting food for her family mm-hmm. that there's no thought of romance between her and Gail I'm not, no. at, at that 
point, you know? And then she's thrown into the Hunger Games with Peta. And as a survival tactic, you know, he is making her look desirable, as Hamish had said, when he is like, oh, she came here with me, you know, in that part. Yeah. Oh, my God. That part. And in the movie. So many butterflies. Literally, it just makes me go like, and I I know that it's, I know that's supposed to happen, but it still, like, shocks me every time. I'm like, oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, the romance aspect is meant for survival. Even in the games, she is using PETA to survive. I don't even know if I'd call it romance. It's a survival technique, at least on her part. On PETA's part, he is in love with her. Oh my God, my heart. Which is heartbreaking because she is just a 16-year-old girl who has had to provide for her family and be there for her mom and her sister after her dad died. And she has no space in her mind to think about boys that way. Here's where I'll say I disagree with you. I think that's how it started. But that's the thing about love is that sometimes feelings creep up on you. Like It's like if someone were to tell you, hey, I like you and I, I want to make this a thing. Will you go out with me? And you're like, I'm sorry. No, I can't. And then, you know, they leave to leave you alone. And then you're like, wait a minute. What's this feeling in me? And I think that that's what she had. There, There's a line at the end. And the very last line is, I take his hand holding on tightly preparing for the cameras and dreading the moment when I will finally have to let go. To me, what happens is she's in the game. You're right. She's thinking strategic. All right. I'm going to kiss him now. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But there's one point when she is making her do this by giving her sponsors or not giving giving her her. or not giving her based on what she's doing. So in her head, it's just a switch that she needs to flip. That's like, Okay, now I have to turn it on. Yes, but what I will say is that there's a point where she kisses Peta and she says that she feels something warm in her. Yeah, that's you having feelings for him. And also she goes and she slips into like the sleeping bag and she says, this is the safest I've ever felt. You wouldn't feel that way if you didn't feel something for that person. You just wouldn't. But I don't know if I'd call it love. Yeah, No, not love. Not love. Right. And but it's like, not romantic love. She is, she needs him, right? She yeah. doesn't necessarily want him or, you know, like she, when she kisses him and she feels something, she's like, okay, there could be something there. But then it's like her life is just going, you know, she's in the games or it's after the games and they're performing for the Capitol. And it's like she, her life is just moving too fast for her to stop and process the feelings and turn it in from from just caring and needing to want and love. That's how I saw yeah. it. I'll agree with that. Like the fact that that it's it, her life is moving so fast. Because who's going to be sitting there like, oh, does he like me? You're killing no. someone. You're not going to care. Right, exactly. But- well, and to that point of you're killing people and you're not going to care, she didn't really allow herself to because – there could have still been that possibility that they changed the rules and she would have had mm-hmm. would have had to kill him. Oh yeah. When they make the announcement that oh the prior rule has been revoked and mm-hmm. there will be one victor in the oh, book, yes. she pulls her bow and arrow on Peta and hates herself for that reaction. But for again, sure. it's that survival technique. In the movie, it's like they're both like, oh God, what do we do? And then it's just the berries. But in the yeah. book, she pulls her bow and arrow on him like immediately because she's worried that he's gonna go try to kill her well because he he starts going towards her with the knife and she's like okay i'm you know she's preparing no but i do believe if he hadn't pulled out his knife 
the ending would have been the same as in the movie. I truly believe she would have been like, what do we do? I don't think she would have pulled the bow on him if he hadn't made a motion toward his knife. That's the thing is she cares about him. I think it is a romantic caring about, but like you said, she's not able to sit there and process it. To me, I think she knows that she's feeling these things, but she is hiding it. The author gives you little glimpses like, she felt warm when she kissed him. Oh, she slides into the sleeping bag and it just feels normal and, and safe. Like, I think that the author is giving you these these little clues that she is actually feeling something. But like you said, everything is going so quickly that she can't process. She's not going to sit there and think about like, oh, I like him. I can't wait until we're out of here. It's like, we might not get out of here. Exactly. You're right. Her whole mind is on survive, 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 survive. And she's not thinking past the next moment. To me, that's how it is, is that there is so much opportunity and promise. Truthfully, there is no Gale as a partner, really, like a romantic partner. Because the thing is, I think at some point she even says, oh, I think everyone thought we would get married. I don't want to have kids. Like, so I think that she even might have thought about it for a second, but she's like, nah, it's whatever. Like, she doesn't seem romantic towards him at all in the first book. And even even in the first movie, like not too much. I think that's the thing is he's just hot. He's Liam Hemsworth. That's it. That is why the whole Team Peta Team Gale thing even came to fruition because the first yeah. book you wouldn't think about him as a suitor at all. You know, yeah, he's hot. It's just because it's Liam Hemsworth. Otherwise, right. like anyone who read the book first, yeah, was totally Team Peta. There's oh, no yeah. way. Like, they wouldn't have seen the movie. They were Team PETA. They were just like, because Gale is like, just, who's Gale? Right. You know? Why does Gale matter in the scheme of a romance, this, you know, love triangle? Like, there is no love triangle. We made it up as fans for the sake of having discussions with other fans and to fight with other fans because you know or when you're would you choose <laughs> yeah right, when you're 16 years old you're like who is she gonna choose and it's like no there was no choice it was always PETA no PETA was always the one who was there for her and even you know as we go into like Catching Fire and Mockingjay Gail is he still has the sense of wanting to protect her and being her hunting partner and helping to provide for her family and you know he made those promises but his goal ultimately is to defeat the capital and to rebel against the capital. And so that's his number one priority. And PETA, his number one priority is protect Katniss at all costs. At all costs, yes. Yeah. And, and no, that's that's such a good observation because it's true. Gail, especially in what we see in Mockingjay, Gail, his number one priority is defeat the capital in hunger games in the hunger games he's like we could run away together yeah that, on the forefront of his mind is we could run away and he even in the book they say this a lot more and i know they show it a little bit in the movie but in the book katniss is talking about how gail is constantly saying shit against mm -hmm. the capital. and in the movie we we see that a little bit but not to the extent that katniss implies in the yeah. books and so like I said, that's his number one priority is how can we get out under the oppression that the capital has across all the districts mm -hmm. and become a free country and not how can we rebel of President Snow? Yes. How can we rebel? I think is like his, his thing in any way that he can, whether it be hunting outside of the limits, whether it be running away, whether it be like him getting flogged in the square, he just constantly wants to stick it to the capital. 
But you're totally right. PETA, everything about him says protect Katniss. So even when Hamish gets chosen as the tribute for the quarter quell, PETA is like, I volunteer. And it's like, he was safe. Homeboy was safe. He could have stayed home and hoped for Katniss to get back and then they could have been together. But no. no. He was like, no. be there with her. I I don't trust anyone else to protect her, essentially. And I'm like, oh my God, my heart. Like, how in any way, shape, or form could you even want Gail? How would you not want this person? I mean, I, I guess I understand it to an extent, but it just... I don't know. I feel like she needs to fess up to herself about her love. Right. It's funny because I kind of am likening Gail to Ross Poldark to go off into it. <laughs> Another thing, which I, this is only because I'm watching it right now, but Ross literally, like, yeah, he cares about Demelza, but he's just going around doing whatever. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. Out of jail you know, having all these schemes. And that's what Gail is doing too. Ross's first priority is not Demelza or his family. Gail's first priority is not Katniss or her family. His first priority is defeating the Capitol. So you've met Hugh. Hugh, I feel like, is PETA. (laughs) He loves Demelza so much. And he's just like- He clearly cares about her and her well-being. Whereas Ross is like, okay, you're just my wife, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that's what Gail would have been to Katniss. Yeah! I believe Gail would have been that to Katniss. He would have put himself in danger despite her being like, please stay here. With no regard for his personal life. He's all about bettering the country, the rebellion, moving it along and... Very much so. But yeah, they they make it out of the first Hunger Games and they make it out together, but absolutely kills me when PETA learns that everything that she did was for survival. He thought that it was real. She's walking with him hand in hand and she's, once I get home, I'm going to figure out my feelings, how I feel about PETA and Gail. She was almost home free. And then freaking Hamish has to come up and be like, oh, hey, uh, you know, keep this up until the cameras are gone. And then Peter's like, keep up what? Shut up, Hamish! Well, and also, I think to that point, Katniss is very in the moment and very, she does not look towards the future besides her own survival. She does not think next year we're going to be the people mentoring the next group of tributes. And Every single year. And it's just like Hamish says, they're going to tote you out in front of the cameras and Mm -hmm. be like, here's your love story over and over and over and over and over again. And when that realization hits Katniss, I mean, she goes into like a depressive state in the book where she's like, I can't keep this up. You know, like this, this is my life now. How do I process all of this? She wants to run away. And it's not until Gail gets flogged in the town square that she's like, we can't do this. We need to stick around and... Exactly. Oh, God. She's only 16. And I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking, too, is that someone so young, she goes crazy. She, Her brain, she has the PTSD. She goes into a depressive state. She's like, how do we get out of this? And realizes that there is no out. That snow has her under her thumb. That idea that every year they're going to bring them back to mentor and stuff like that, 
How much power must the capital have? Okay, so first off, they have the Hunger Games. Then six months later, they have the Victory Tour. Six months later, Hunger Games. Six months later, mm-hmm. Victory Tour. It's like every six they months. Constantly remind the districts of the power that they have over them. Exactly. Yeah, and it's then they do the quarter quell, and then they, right. they they break their own rule that someone who has already gone through the Hunger Games can't be thrown into the quarter quell. But, you know, there she is alongside PETA, alongside Finnick, Mags. Catching Fire is my favorite, all-time favorite. Mine too! Book and movie of the series. I think that it just, because there's this this element of, oh God, what's going to happen? Very much setting the stage in The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is setting the stage for Catching Fire. And Catching Fire really has everything because... We didn't get to meet previous tributes because we're in Katniss's mind within the games. Haymitch is all interacting with them all the time, but we're in Katniss's mind. And so going to Catching Fire and getting to see the other districts in in their element you, through the victory tour, yes, but also that she gets to interact with these people in a, on a more personal level because they all know what it's like to win. They're not all out to get each other. You know, they all form these alliances in the quarter quell. Less people die in the in the bloodbath at the cornucopia because they don't want to kill every, each other. Mm-hmm. And it's such a good plot in my mind to show the oppression that the capital has put on the districts and the fact that this is kind of the only way to get out from the poor disadvantaged life Mm -hmm. besides one and two definitely the most advantage of all of the districts but that these people are the victors they are in it for life they have the money they have the food they don't have to worry about anything and only to be thrown back into the hunger games again and have that all taken out from under them is just really the key for the rebellion and Katniss by holding out those berries, did not realize by doing that, she became the face of the rebellion. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, she's thinking the absolute worst that's going to happen is I'm going to have to be a mentor. And I think in her head, she's thinking, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is going to suck. I'm going to have to keep being a mentor. I'm going to have to watch these people. I'm going to have to teach a girl how to kill people. I'm going to have to watch her go in and possibly watch her die. Most likely watch her die. Possibly watch, watch her win. And then all of a sudden, she's thrown in. When you read that, when you watch it in the movie, you get the win knocked out of you yeah for her the movie really kind of sped through i felt when it's announced that the quarter quell is happening and then they're actually actually happens, and then they get back to the capital in the book that's like a six month period of time and katniss hamish and pita start training and Mm -hmm. they they talk about training like careers yeah and in the movie it makes it seem like it's like a week long, they announce the quarter quell and then their their names are being picked and then they go to the Capitol when in reality it was longer and they had time to process it. And, you know, Katniss came up with the plan with Hamish to protect PETA at all costs and that mm-hmm. PETA was who they wanted to get out. The fact that they use the quarter quell as means to start this rebellion on the larger scale of getting all the districts involved mm-hmm. and it didn't tell Katniss anything about it. Now, I understand from the perspective of if you're caught, tortured, or whatever, you have no info to give them. A lot of things were writing on what Katniss needed to do, right? Yes. Katniss needed to stick around with everybody. BD needed to be a part of the team because he had to have the wire. She needed to shoot the arrow with the wire at the 
force field. Mm-hmm. How did she – I still have a hard time figuring out how she figured that out, you know, uh-huh. that that's what she needed to do. Because yeah. that, that sequence of events in the movie, I don't see how that leads up to her being like, oh, now I shoot the arrow at the force field. So, I yeah. think it's a moment of – Plutarch is being very much like Hamish was in the first book. He is assuming that she knows what he's talking about. And we find out that Plutarch was the one who fell into the punch bowl when she shot the arrow at the apple. And so I think that that was his way of talking to her. He knows that she's very perceptive and that she, I I think at least that he thought she would get it. Yeah. And and the thing is, she did. Obviously she did. But there was a lot riding on that because again, she did separate with PETA. And I know that that was the plan for her because her tracker needed to be taken out. Mm -hmm. Um, But they could have potentially saved PETA as well. If they were right next to each other and the hovercraft picked them both up together, Mm -hmm. you know, there there was that potential, but of course they separated. And this is not sitting there thinking, oh, we're about to be rescued. She's thinking, we need to get out of these games, you know, yeah. and, and alive. One of us needs to be the victor. So she's not thinking about if I keep Peter close to me, we can escape together. Yes, because so. she didn't know how close they were to the end. Right. So yeah. there was no way for her to be like, no, 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 he's staying with me. Both Peter and Katniss were in on it. Maybe they both could have gone with Joanna. Yeah. We let her take out the trackers and then gone back together. You know, there's there's a lot of things, but of course... Peta had to be not rescued with her because of the events of, of Mockingjay. We didn't really talk about Cinna. And he's oh. one of the best characters because he truly believes in Katniss. Yes. And I think that that was so important for her to have. And she trusted Cinna. And even in the Mockingjay, after Cinna has, you know, died and he's not there, he had drawn these Mockingjay outfits for her. Mm-hmm. With the intention of let her decide on her own and then show it to her. But if they had shown them to her from the beginning, she would have said, yes, I'll do it. Because yeah. she trusted and be- and knew that Cinna believed in her. And Cinna is almost like a father figure to her. Because she, she has lacked that, you know, since she was like 10 or whatever. And so Cinna was this person who is truly believing in her, wanting her to do the best that she can. And I think... Cinna is just such a great character. Also, Lenny Kravitz was, why was the casting just so perfect? He was so good. Here's one thing I will say about Cinna. So he asked for District 12. And my thing is, I wonder if he knew that from the beginning, his role would be to protest the games. Because I don't think he, he doesn't like the games. He doesn't. Right. It's not like he's sitting there like, I want the winning team. No, Cinna's not like that. He wants to use this as an opportunity to protest the games. And so I think that that was why he chose her because one, he believed in her. He saw the authenticity when she was wanting to protect her sister and knowing that she's going to put up a fight. But also I think that he used his gift, which his gift is making clothes for Katniss. He used his gift to make these clothes for her. And so I I put down the the note that he wants to make them recognizable so the world knows who they're sending to slaughter. So um, a lot of the time he did her makeup fairly naturally. Of course, like her first outfit was very like 
whoa. But then after that, I think that he tries to make her look like a child. Like he kind of gives her this girlish quality because he wants people to know you're sending this child in to be slaughtered. I want you to look at her. And then in Catching Fire, when when he gets beaten and subsequently killed, I think that that was such a low moment for Katniss. Obviously, I'm saying it like it's like this big thing, but no, it was such a low moment for her because I think that that, it really brought her down. Her hope was really low because like you said, he kind of represented this father figure and what happened when her father died the first time. To her, it's like, then what am I even doing here anymore? If if the capital is going to kill everyone I love, I need to just be gone and be done with it because that's what Snow wanted. Snow wanted Katniss to be gone because he knew how powerful her face and her her message, her symbol, her message, everything had become to the districts. He knew what that meant. And so Katniss was enemy number one to President Snow. And so by killing Cinna, it very much mirrors when her father died because it's like, okay, shit, what am I going to do now? How am I going to go on without Cinna there to back me up? <laughs> President Snow, everything that he did was very, very, very strategic and very smart. As Katniss's opponent, ping-ponging back and forth between the two of them, he knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. And he knew how to get to her with you know, like in the books, and this was not in the movies, the smell of the roses. And the blood. Just, and the blood just overwhelmed her to the point where it was it was a Pavlovian response. When she mm-hmm. smelled it, that she shuts down, she freaks out, her heart starts racing. To her, everything doesn't matter. Like, she's done. Yeah. And he knew how to get her in that way. Oh, so. he did, yeah. He's, he is so evil. He's such a good villain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Donald Sutherland is amazing. That's something that I really liked about the movie was that they allow you to see more of President Snow. I loved the interactions between Snow and Seneca Crane. Yes. How at the very, very end, he walks up. And we know in Catching Fire, we're like, okay, Seneca has been killed off. Yes. Because he defied President Snow and allowed there to be two victors. But we don't really know how he died. And Katniss, is, Katniss makes an assumption when she's back for the quarter quell and she she hangs up a dummy and writes Seneca Crane on it mm-hmm. as if this is what happens to people here. But I loved in the movie that they showed that President Snow killed him by offering him a bowl of, of the very berries that signified the rebellion that started the fire of the rebellion were just those little berries. And I thought that was a beautiful moment in the movie that we obviously don't get to see in the book because like I said, Snow is very strategic. He's very smart. He knows how to get people. And it was just such a great symbol Mm -hmm. of like how a few berries can really bring down this structure of the Capitol and the, and the power that president Snow had, and he was not going to allow it. Exactly. And and Katniss even says something like that. She says, Panna must be really fragile if it can be taken down by a few berries. And yeah, you're right. Like all those little things between Seneca and President Snow, they're so fun because you have those moments where like Seneca's talking to him about an underdog and all this stuff. And then also, once we get into Catching Fire, there's that scene where President Snow and his granddaughter are sitting at the table. And he says, like, when did you start wearing your hair like that? And she goes, all the kids at school are wearing it, which shows that 
not only has Katniss's popularity penetrated the districts, but now it's also coming into the capital. And that is where, okay, President Snow is losing his grip on everything. Mockingjay is so PETA-centric. It's all about them rescuing PETA. She's like, this is what I need. We need to rescue him. I need yeah, this. He's like, I will not perform for you in the way you need me to perform without knowing that PETA is safe. Here. Exactly. So I actually want to talk, Mockingjay was very PETA-centric, but there was a lot of more interactions between Katniss and Gail. Yes. And I had such strong feelings about this when I was 15 or 16 years old. But Gail and his traps that he was talking to Beatty about, and then in the end, this is how Prim dies, is from the parachutes that come, bomb, and then the rescue, the medics and everybody comes in to help, and then the other bombs go off. Yes. And Gail had talked about that previously in the book with Beatty. He was talking about setting traps and using that human need to save people. And yes. And to go in and help those who are wounded and then using that against them by killing off even more people than they had before. I hated Gail's guts. Gail killed Prim. It was all Gail's fault. There's nothing you can say or do that will make me like Gail from that point on. I hated yeah. his guts. First off, it's not clear until Katniss talks to Snow in the house and she talks to him before she's supposed to execute him and he said oh this was a smart move on coin's part that coin was the one who planned this and used it to the rebellion's advantage because when the bombs went off even the peacekeepers thought that it was the capital who were bombing their children mm -hmm. and they, they used were so mad that they allowed the rebels to storm the yeah. President Snow's mansion and to end the war, essentially. And really, it was such a smart move on Coin's part. And yes, it could have been Gale's bomb or Gale's thought, but it was not executed by Gale. And I think I got so warped in my mind because I was just so mad that Prim had to die off after every, yeah. and I was just so mad that I needed to put it on someone, but Gail was not the someone. Coin was the someone. And it really comes full circle when she's going to shoot, execute President Snow, and instead she shoots President Coin. And I think that that really shows you how power corrupts. So yes, President Snow was the worst. You know, he was killing children in the arena. He was allowing it to happen. He was threatening Katniss and did all this stuff. And over here we have President Coyne, who is acting as the face of the rebellion. But then, you know, she sits down with the victors and she says, let's put on another Hunger Games with the Capitol children. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be the interim president until we can hold elections. That's not how this is going to work. No. Like, this is not, this is not what we, the rebels, have fought for, you know. And exactly. We've fought for equality. We fought for, to get out of, out from under the thumb of the oppressor. Yeah. And now you're going to, you're going to be thing. the oppressor. Right. You're going to do the same thing just in the light of day instead of underground in District 13. You're going to allow the same, it's a cycle. Exactly. Cycle, yeah. And the books are just so well done to show what power can do to a person oh, and yeah. how it can oppress a whole nation of people and that they will go with it because of the fear of being killed off or whatever. And it, it's, I just 
cannot say it enough. I just think it is such a, a well done series. And it really came full circle with Katniss shooting President Coyne. And by doing that, she allowed the rebels and everybody to hold elections and to choose a president that they wanted. And I think that that was just really, really important. Well, here's what I will say, though, about the whole Gale situation. You're right in that he probably wasn't the one who executed it, or he might not have been the one who executed it. But with me, in my head, Mm -hmm. I actually think he might have. Because, again, he is so about bringing down the Capitol that... Mm -hmm. I think that he thought that those were necessary. It's like collateral damage. It's like, That's well, it's a, ne- it's, it's, an, it's a necessary loss. Like we have to be able to take this and take this loss. So yeah, as much as I'm like, he loved Prim, mm-hmm. I don't put it past him. I wouldn't yeah. put it past him. Because well, I don't know if Prim was there obviously on Gail's orders. I think that. Yes. Well, but, and, but here's the thing though, because Gail wasn't with 13 I feel like he would not have given that order. Maybe, yes, he had said, use this bomb, use this technique at your discretion, President Coyne, because he was getting very buddy-buddy with, with President Coyne yeah. leading up to when he, him and Katniss are in the Capitol. So I do think that he had kind of given his thumbs up to Coyne potentially, or at least she was in the know of like, this is what Gail has done. How can I use it to our advantage? Yes. Agreed. I don't think that he knew that Prim was going to be there. Yeah. But I, I think that was like, President Coyne's. Um, oh, absolutely. Because she yeah. wanted to piss off Katniss to the point where she wanted to kill Snow. Here's my only thing. The reason that I think that he would have seen her as a necessary loss is because when Katniss confronts him about it. He never says, I can't believe they took my idea. I'm so sorry, Katniss. I never thought they would have used it in this way. Never. And when she confronts him about it, he doesn't say anything. So in my head, maybe he's not the one who sent Prim in, but I think he probably knew that that was going to happen. And I genuinely think that when he found out that Prim died, obviously he was probably sad because he's seen her grow up and he loves her, but he probably saw it as a necessary loss. And I just did the math. So over the 74 years mm-hmm. of the Hunger Games, 1,702 children died. Yeah. So that is a lot. I definitely think that, yes, that, that was not the capital. They had definitely taken it over. And President Coyne, I definitely believe sent uh sent prim out there to be killed because she wanted to use whatever fire was going to come from katniss she wanted to use that to her own advantage you are right in that coin and snow they are all about what happens when they're when too much power is given to one person yeah. and then uh president Paylar, that brings the end of the hunger games entirely and so i i think that it's just very interesting that you have these two people who were in a place of power and both of them wanted to abuse their power. But luckily someone came along who who was like, no. And I think also Paylar came from District 8. So someone who came from an actual district 
I think it really speaks to having someone who has been in the thick of it, someone who has dealt with certain crap and and knows the people. And that's why Paylar came in and was like, no, we're going to take away the Hunger Games entirely. We're not going to say like an eye for an eye. Certainly Paylar could have had a child who went to the Hunger Games or could have had a friend that went to the Hunger Games or a brother or a sister or whatever. She is a firsthand account of understanding what's going on. Whereas Coin grew up in 13. Coin was born in 13. Coin only knows 13. And well, yes, they were, you know, the sickness that had wiped out most of the population and, you know, they had to rebuild and whatnot. But at the same time, her children weren't being sacrificed. Her friends weren't being sacrificed for the greater good of the country. Like, no. So Paylor was the perfect first president and she was voted in. They voted for Paylor and she was the one who was chosen to be the first president. So exactly. Yeah. The epilogue where freaking Katniss and Peta get to actually live happily ever after so okay so actually i do have feelings about that too oh no oh no i honestly think that it was fan service not that i don't agree with i want that to happen however i think that it was pushing it for them to have kids no yeah i'm sorry because i think that katniss was so fucked up and obviously like they were out of the woods and they were safe and whatever. But she even says she had terror when she was pregnant and that it it was hard to be pregnant because there was just such this fear that had been embedded in her for so long. I don't see the character that we read about for three books ever being okay with being pregnant and having children, regardless of the situation after the fact. Oh my God. I could I'm not sorry. disagree more. I I mean, okay. I think that that's understandable. That's actually a really good thing to point out. But I really think that like, I think that she would eventually have kids, you know, because the thing is, Katniss is kind of wishy-washy in general, you know? So yes, I, I totally agree with the wishy-washy in that like the thought process does make sense. I still feel like it's fan service because Every young adult book has to end happily ever after with them, with the heterosexual couple married with two children, right? I love and I just, oh I know, and at the time when I read it, when I was, you know, 16, I was like, oh my God, I love it. I, this is, this is exactly what I wanted. But reading it as an adult and re- reading it from the perspective of the romance doesn't matter. You know, like to me, it's like, why did they even have to get married? To me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ah! I'm glad that they did. However, it's not what makes your life fulfilled. And especially after you have gone through such a traumatic life, you know, for two years of your life, you've gone through such trauma and have overthrown a corrupt government. And then suddenly, and I know it took her a while. It it does. It does admit that it took her a while to be okay with it. I just felt like it was fan service. See, here's, here's where I would say you have to think about it like this. Is Katniss a strong character? Yes. So I don't see her to be someone to ruminate and dwell on something like that. And I say dwell because the truth is, at the end of the day, her children would be safe. And and she has PETA. You're right. That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you're successful and you're fulfilled or whatever. But the truth is, I think... 
having PETA there allows her to have a fulfilled life. And I don't necessarily mean that, oh, you know, she's complete now because she has him. It's like, no, she was really messed up. But I think that PETA was messed up too. And and I think that they supported each other. And there was just this love that grew. And yeah, it took a while for her to be okay. But she had this, this loved one now who supported her. Her own mother was gone. Her her mother was gone. Everyone was gone. It's just her and Peta, basically. I think that he was always so patient with her and so kind. And then she was always, you know, pushing him away or whatever. And then at some point, you know, when he lost his memory and he, you know, attacked her and everything, I think that there was just this, he's gone. My heart, you know, like he's actually is he gone for good? I'm not denying that they needed to be with each other. Like, I think that that was important and that there was the love there. And this is actually what I wanted to wanted to read. I have plenty of fire myself. What I need is the dandelion in the spring, the bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction. The promise that life can go on no matter how bad our losses, that it can be good again. And only PETA can give me that. So after when he whispers, you love me, real or not real, I tell him real. And I think I would have just been happy with it ending that way. I don't think the epilogue needed to be there because we don't, that's the thing. And I think as an adult, I'm more okay with the story being a little bit more open-ended that we don't need to know every detail of the happy ever after Mm -hmm. because what's important is just to know that they got there and we don't need to see that, okay, she's sitting in the meadow with her two kids and PETA. And then that means that it's all okay now. That's why I feel like it's a little bit more fan service, having an epilogue. Whereas how perfect is that line that I just read? No, it is. Literally saying that PETA is, is the only person who can give that to her. I just think that that would have been such a great ending and the epilogue didn't need to be there. So sorry. No, you're fine. But but this might have actually been how the author saw it ending, like in her head. She might have been like, this is how I see it ending. And yeah, it's going to make fans happy, but this is just how I see it ending. So I'm just going to end it this way. And what I would say is that line that you just said about how it's a symbol of rebirth, basically, and like a fresh start. I really think that their whole life that they have in the epilogue is that is just that because the life that she had back in 12 she can continue that if she really wanted to she could just be with Peta and just continue that way I think that this life is a sense of rebirth not not even necessarily because she gave birth you know right. <laughs> because yeah. it's because she had this life in this snow globe where it was oppression, where it was fear, where it was all these things. And she had to live with that for 16 years, 17 years. And then she finally broke free of it. So what is she going to do? Is she going to continue living in fear? Is she going to continue looking over her shoulder for the rest of her life? Maybe she might do that. Who knows? But I think that her finally saying, I can finally move past this 
and actually create a life. I think that to me, at least the line that you read, it really supports the epilogue because it's the only thing PETA could give her was this sense of rebirth. And so they go off on their own and they give birth. They have a life that's not perfect because they're still having nightmares and stuff like that, but they work together to overcome those. And I think it's just, to me at least, I mean, and I totally respect you. Like, that's totally fine. I understand because the epilogue made me very happy. It does make me happy. I just feel that it's not necessary. That's why I call it fan service. I'm, I'm happy because I'm like, oh, I would love to know what happens next. And then she yeah. gives it to you. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's just, you know, it could be fan service. But at the end of the day, I will not complain about it because I'm so happy to hear that she, she had babies and that she, that she was finally able to have babies because otherwise the only reason she wasn't going to have them before was because of the Hunger Games. I think that if she hadn't, it would have almost been like the Capital One. But you know what? F Snow, F Coin. Yep. Uh, not F Snow because the next book is all about snow. So oh, I'm excited about that. Man. So guys, thank you so much for listening. And honestly, thank you, Suzanne Collins, obviously best known for a little bear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's her most famous. That's her most famous. But second of all would be the Hunger Games. Thank you so much for writing this. And thank you for writing another book so that Lindsay and I actually get to go back and revisit the Hunger Games, get to revisit Katniss and Peeta and Gale and Cinna. And guys, you should reread this and definitely, definitely come next week when we will be talking about the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And this is Kayla. And this is Lindsay. And we are saying, see you later. May the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Bye. Bye.